0: Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. We are so grateful for people who are here for the first time. Again, I just wanted to give another welcome. I know some more folks came out. And um, I know that not everyone is familiar with uh, Christianity or the Bible, so I just wanted to give a little um, cheat sheet here. This is the layout of the Bible. We just had a reading from Luke, which is a gospel, yeah, and uh, uh, it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. You should be an oldie but a goodie. You should check it out. Uh, a lot of people at New City really like, um, really, really enjoy Luke. So uh, we are reading this as part of our sermon series, Hot Take, a uh, sermon series about the spicy teachings of Jesus. It's the fire cider of sermon series. Have any of you had fire cider? It's like, okay, it's like turmeric, pickled jalapeno, like garlic, ginger. It's, it tastes kind of like, it starts like a nightmare, and then it ends with like a, I'm alive! And so um, it's good for the immune system. Uh, Anyways, um, that's what our sermon series is. So so, um, if you're the kind of person who prays, would you please pray with me? Holy Spirit, I invite your spirit to fill this place that from um, desde nuestras corazones from our very hearts we might be open to you from our interiores from our inside souls god that we might uh, remember your goodness and how you have been good to us god i pray that this text about splinters and logs might pierce us might might change us might surprise us might transform us today so that we can go out into the world uh, with eyes wide open. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, for some of you who have read the Bible before, you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all accounts of Jesus's life. And there are some parts that are parallel, and there are some parts that are not parallel. And so uh, for example, something that we talk about a lot at New City is um, in Matthew, there is the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus goes up the mountain and preaches uh, the Beatitudes, which is like a really, really important teaching about blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. This is one of the the texts that we use to uh, to talk about centering marginalized voices and how we look at Jesus saying, blessed are these folks who are marginalized, and God lives there. And so that's why we at, at New City try to listen to marginalized voices, because we believe that those voices are blessed. Amen? Um, and so there's a there's a interesting um, parallel. So this is in Matthew. There's another sermon that happens in Luke, but for uh, in Luke, Jesus goes up the mountain with his disciples, and then he comes down to be with the people. And so in Luke, we have a sermon on the plain, not a sermon on the mount, but a sermon on the plain. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, spatiality, where how you're relating to, how the characters are relating to things, really matters in, in how things are going. So I'm just imagining, you know, at the base of this mountain, there's all these folks gathered around, and, uh, thousands of folks even. And, and Jesus is preaching this word about blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, as he himself is on the same level with them. Um, I think that speaks a lot to the incarnation, and this is that same Savior who ha- spoke so much wisdom into the world, and, um, and you know he was probably talking to people, some of whom might have had some vision loss or some blindness, and I want to be super clear, because later on in the Bible, in the book of John, uh, Jesus talks about how people born blind teach us about God. Right, like the people who are born blind are are blessed, just like the poor and the meek. That that uh, there, there is a unique contribution to the world from people who are born blind. Just think of um, uh, Ray Charles and uh, Andrea Bocelli and um, uh, L- a- Aldous Huxley, who wrote 1984, um, had some serious vision loss, and now or um, not 1984, Brave New World, and now it's like. <laughs> real. And, and, um, and, and uh, Homer might have been, the guy who wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad um, might have been blind. So like the, so I, I think that, as we're engaging this text that talks about the ability to see, I want to be clear that Jesus is talking about a different type of seeing. He's not talking about a disability, like a physical disability, uh, because we know that folks with disabilities speak profound wisdom into our life, and the world is better off with with people uh, with disabilities. And, and in fact, we need that. Um, so it's not it's not about that. But there is a different type of seeing that Jesus is very emphatic about us getting right. Uh, Jesus isn't so worried about the people who, can't, who can or cannot see the outside world. He's a little bit more worried about the people who can't see the inside world, see what's going on in here. Jesus isn't worried about the people who can't see the outside world. He's worried about the people who can't see inside. When was the last time that you had a seeing eye test for your heart? When was the last time that you really tested to see if your understanding of yourself was truly how God sees you? Um, so, uh, so, so Jesus uh, is talking on the plane with these people, and he's looking around at these folks who he knows are going to be building community. You know, like Jesus was constantly building community everywhere that he went, and he knew that after he left, these folks would be the ones left remaining to build community with each other. And so he passes on this teaching that is an essential teaching for how to build community. And he talks about how um, you try to pick out the splinter in someone else's eye while you have a log in your own eye. A log in your own eye. Some translations make it even smaller. Some translations say um, you're trying to pick out the moat or the, the dust in your neighbor's eye while you have a log in your own eye. Of course, Jesus would have been very familiar with these things because he grew up in a carpenter's family, and so he knew what it was like to get sawdust in the eye. It stinks, but it's way worse to have a log in your eye, right? Like, uh, personal experience. Now, there are uh, there are two things that I want to point out, uh, two comments that I want to make on this uh, in particular. So one comment is, um, uh, there's a certain call to solidarity within this teaching there is a solidarity for everyone trying to see reality and this is important because Jesus isn't saying you're trying to get the sand out of someone's eye while you're getting the, while you have a log in your eye he's saying you have a splinter in your eye and and we have a log in our eye The w- it's both wood the problem is the same it's just the scale of the problem It's not like the people who have those problems over there, I can't relate to them at all. Jesus is like, no, no, no. There's actually like the same thing that's affecting them is the thing that is in your heart too. And you have to deal with that. And and in fact, all of us are on a team together trying to figure out how to undo the logs in our eyes. Um, You know, this January, we've spent a whole month uh, in an Undoing White Body Supremacy class and in a POC Healing class, and those were like big, log extraction classes trying to say like we're trying to see the world in a different way we're trying to acknowledge that there is uh, a white supremacy ethos there is a dark fog of of white supremacy in in the world and by training ourselves into it we can learn to see that uh, more and the impacts on bodies of color and on white bodies are different but ultimately we are in solidarity as we try to undo White body supremacy—that's an example—and um, so Jesus is saying, like, never get to the point where you're looking at someone else's problems and you're not finding personal resonance and solidarity within it. Let your criticism all those criticisms and um, and critiques that you have in your mind—let those be an entry point to empathy and compassion and reaching out and abundance. Because when you correct someone out of love, like Ephesians says, speaking truth of love. Uh, um, speaking truth in love—that's when things actually change, right? Um, and and the goal becomes love and connection, and not just feeling right for having criticized and using all the right woke language. None of us ever do this, so I'm just I'm just I'm just—it's for the—it's for the live stream, uh, not for y'all. None of you. Okay. So um <laughs> so that's um so that's the first observation that I wanted to make about this text. The second observation is that. Uh, Jesus is giving you a map that says, figure out what bothers you about others to figure out what bothers you about yourself. Yikes. Figure out what bothers you about others to figure out what bothers you about yourself. <laughs> yep. <And laughs> Firesider, cider. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> it tastes like a nightmare, but then you come alive. Is um, So what Jesus is saying is that if something is bothering you about someone, if you think about that person who's really just friction rubbing you the wrong way, way, just feels like, like you're chewing ice when you're, you know, like that, like fingernails on the chalkboard. Some folks just said, I love chewing ice. Okay, this is not, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not trying to like persecute the ice chewers in this room, Um, but it's just like that cringy like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Jesus is saying, instinctively, you want to do this, but if you lean into that irritation, that bother, if you reach in there, eventually you'll find a treasure map that spirals out and out and out and eventually leads back to you. And it will reveal something in you that needs to be healed or forgiven healed or forgiven. So maybe there was a wound that someone else has, has done that has shaped how you live. Maybe someone has uh, really hurt you in the past, and that's informing your future relationships. Maybe your body is just trying to be wise and remember all of its best lessons. Uh, but Jesus is saying, uh, don't let go of the wisdom, but do heal the wound. Don't let go of the wisdom, but do heal the wound, right? Because otherwise we'll just bleed out as a, individually and as a community. Um, hold on to the wisdom, but heal the wound. The other thing that I notice uh, a lot in, in, uh, I don't know if this is like a quarter-life crisis thing, like folks who are in older generations will have to let me know, but like I feel like I'm encountering a lot of people who are having a hard time forgiving previous versions of themselves. So like a lot of people who were like in one place, talked a certain way, acted a certain way, and then learned... Better or learned how to how to change, and they uh, they look back at that time when they were wrong with a lot of uh, disdain and a lot of pain, and so then because the inside always comes to the outside because they haven't forgotten their pre- or they haven't forgiven the previous version of themselves when they encounter people who are acting the same way or talking the same way they're extra hard on them. Because, because they can't forgive themselves, and so they're hard on the people around them. And it's like, yo, flashback five years ago, <laughs> and you were doing the same thing. And, and most of the time, the thing that brought you along that journey was some courageous, brave soul going up to you and offering you compassionate correction, whether or not it was soft or hard compassion, right? right? It might not have been like gentle giving you rose, a bouquet of roses and cookies and saying you're being racist or homophobic or whatever. It might have, it might have been a hard type of compassion, but someone along the way showed you the, showed you the way. You read a book, you read an article, you watched a video, you talked to a person, and you changed. And, and if, unless you forgive that previous version of yourself, you won't be able to extend that same grace to other people. And that's where social change stops, because, uh, because we, we are too stuck in our lack of forgiveness for ourselves. So I think um, uh, a really wise thing to, to go through is to create a timeline of yourself and who you were and to say, I forgive you for each chapter of that life. Um, I, I know that you did what you had to do. You made the best decision that you could given the cards that you were dealt. And now we know differently, and now we know better, so we will do better. That's, that's how you make peace with yourself. So, um, so, you know, in one week, exactly one week, New City is starting a gospel living class. Uh, this January was gospel living, undoing white body supremacy, gospel living POC Healing. And now the next installment in the series is Gospel Living Spiritual Practices. Gospel Living Spiritual Practices. And one of the main driving images for spiritual practices is the sacred compost pile. Some of you know this. So like we talk about like whatever you're receiving in life, there is a there's a compost pile called the cross or the resurrection where you can put all of the things that used to give you life and they can change and be redeemed to create the conditions of life again. And um and the and the reason why this is important is because the compost pile is where the logs go to become the conditions for life again. The compost pile is where we take the logs out and ask God to redeem it. The logs come out of our eyes and our hearts and go into the compost pile, and God turns them into ministry. God is, can't wait to prepare you to be a person of peace in the world, to spread compassion and justice to wherever you are. God can't wait for that to happen. But in order for that to happen, God needs the raw materials to make life again, to make soil again. And so you have to offer up to God the things on your heart in order for God to equip you with what you need for ministry. And I know that there are some uh, some professional like eco-composty people who are like, Tyler, wood in a compost, that's going to take a really long time. And Jesus is like, yeah. <laughs> it is going to take a long time. So better start now, folks. Like it, it, there's like it's not like trauma today, perfectly healed person of peace tomorrow. Yeah. It's like this is a long journey, folks. It involves healing your body, it involves your heart, it involves your mind, it involves connecting with community, finding mentors, creating a support system, getting your sleep schedule back on track, getting some fire cider in your belly, getting your sleep, getting your eating on track finding peace with your neighbor, figuring out the job that you're actually supposed to be doing instead of the job that you're holding on to because you're scared of change, Uh, dumping the person that you're actually supposed to be dumping so that you can make yourself open to the person that God wants to introduce you to, or just being single because being single is amazing. Like, that is the type of long haul that we're in, folks. Like, this is a long journey. We have to give God plenty of time to compost all the stuff in your life that needs to be let go of. And that happens not just from an individual, individualistic, let me just do my own little podcast and then do it on my own. This happens from a community effort, uh, a community effort and and a a theological connection. Um, Some of you know that I'm Um, I I spent a a really significant chapter of my life studying Zen Buddhism. Um, I sat uh, meditation all the time with the Cambridge Zen Center during my undergrad, waking up at five o'clock in the morning. Um, I I, um, read Thich Nhat Hanh all throughout my journey through South America while also encountering indigenous spiritualities. And then... Uh, four years later, I did a mindfulness retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh and learned about uh, his approach to the world. Thich Nhat Hanh is one of the leading voices who brought Zen thought to America during the Vietnam War. And what I'm talking about here with prayer is substantively different than sitting Zen meditation. I. I know. I, I did both, and I see the point of both of them, and I and it's and it's value. Both of them are uh, things that create wisdom and and a feeling of settlement, and contentment. And I'm not knocking anyone else's spiritual journey, but what I'm talking about here is different. And I am urging you to know the difference between just settling and prayer, because. Um, the The difference is that when I'm sitting meditation, or I'm at these retreats, or whatever, in previous chapters of my life, it was about discovering now and allowing the 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 moments and the things in your memory to kind of settle. One of the metaphors was, you're sitting on a hill and you're watching the clouds of your thoughts go by. You're learning non-attachment. That's meditation, non-attachment, learning your thoughts go by. Prayer is completely different. Prayer prayer might have the impact of creating settledness. And and we do believe that there is emotional intelligence that comes from it. But prayer, most fundamentally, is conversational. Like, prayer involves picking up the phone and communicating with someone outside of you, right? Like meditation, talk, uh, meditation talks about like the you, the now, the presence, the moment. And it's kind of like the sangha is important, the community is important, but really it's contained within the individual. And prayer is necessarily not an, in, like by definition, it's not an individual endeavor. Prayer is a reaching out to that which is, Within you and beyond you, it is like like prayer is as useless as picking up a phone for just the one receiver, right? Like you need you need prayer to have two receivers to, for a conversation to happen, and that's what we're trying to get at, and that's why prayer requires so much faith, because uh, you know you sit down with your prayer journal, or maybe you sit down with the workbook that we'll give you for the spiritual practices. You sit down. Three minutes of silence, and you're like, okay, God, what do you think? And, and you hear the clock ticking, and you hear the radiator going, and you're like, okay, God's not responding, bye. And then it's like, okay, well, I tried prayer, and it's done. Three minutes, I've conclusively exhausted all of prayer. It doesn't work for me, right? And, and <laughs> prayer teaches you the discipline of communicating with God on God's timeline. Like, God isn't like at our beck and call. The point of faith is that we are learning how to follow God, how to answer to God and to, and to be responsive to God. And so sometimes you might sit in prayer for three minutes and think you'll feel more settled, but you won't have any big explosive messages from God. And that's exactly what it's supposed to be. And then, and then you come back and pray again. And then you come back and then you pray again, and then you come back and pray again. And slowly, wisdom starts building in you. And, and eventually, you might have those big, kind of biblical, huge m- moments from God. But more often, a life of prayer means that you just bring, like, 10% more peace to your work, 10% more wisdom to your relationships. You know, like, it's, it's an incremental type of growth. It's like rings on a tree adding a little bit to your heart each time, growing a little, little bit, so slowly that you might not notice it if you stare and watch it, but so inevitably that if you keep doing what you're supposed to doing, you will change. It will change you. It is slow and inevitable. So um, I I really love prayer. I really love prayer. Pray all the time. Praying right now, and uh, and and um, one of the th- one of the types of prayer that we'll teach you is welcoming prayer, which is uh, a way of creating space for the emotions you're feeling, and then offering them back up to God. Again, offering <laughs> into the mystery, into the void, back up to God, and and waiting for a response. And the, one of the effects of welcoming prayer is. Um, is you start to cultivate this like serenity. Oh, interesting. Um, you start to cultivate this. You didn't see that other slide. You start to cultivate that serenity feeling of like calm waters, because a lot of times the reason why you feel upset about something, why you're angry or sad or mad or whatever, is because there's a there's a part of you that needs to be seen, or heard. And and it's not gonna stop talking until that part of you is seen or heard. And what happens in prayer is you offer your deepest self to God and allow God to see and hear you. And then all of a sudden, like a certain type of calm waters effect starts taking place in your life because you feel the type of solidarity that no human being can provide. You You feel like you're being seen by a God who has no logs in her eyes ever like who is permanently with us who permanently has the perfect vision the perfect accompaniment Um, so so i know that for folks who are new to christianity this is kind of like a abstract concept (laughs) like it's kind of like i'm uh telling you that if you just think hard enough you can levitate out of this chair that's not, I know that it, it feels kind of like distant or, or fictional. And so I'm trying to think of a, a way to make it more concrete. And, um, and <laughs> uh, I can't tell you, I can give you the steps in the workbook, but what I'm, I'm trying to make more concrete is the feeling of what prayer will feel like if you continue to attend to it. And um, so Brian and I started watching Watchmen. Whoa, anyone? One, one, two. Okay, so (laughs) it's really good. It's stupid good. It's like, it's like there's a um the uh there's a black woman as a protagonist who is part of um it's like she's part of this um it's like it's the same America but it's a bifurcated history line. So um in the Vietnam War different. No spoilers. Different stuff happened, and all of a sudden there was a different America. And so now she's living in a Tulsa, in a Tulsa, Oklahoma, in a post-reparation America. So there was like huge, like economic reparation for the folks who survived the. Um, the riots that burned down Black Wall Street, which is real. That historically happened, um, uh, where people just rioted around in um, these concentrated areas of black wealth and completely pillaged that whole area. And so Tulsa, Oklahoma, makes reparations for the descendants of the survivors of um, the Black Wall Street. And so, um, so suddenly, the role of the police force is very different. And so she's on the police force. And their number one enemy is a white supremacy group called Seventh Calvary. And so, yep. Yeah. And so um, Seventh so Calvary are the people who are resentful of the, of the reparations. And so they're using that as a platform to um, uh, basically say, like, we need to exterminate all people of color. And, uh, and the police force, and so she's, like, leading this effort or investigation to try to figure out how to stop them. And um, there's really, okay, also, as a a sub-point, it's really good. It's also ultra-violent, like super-duper-dee-duper-violent, like watching heads explode kind of violent. So just, like, be aware of that. There's also nudity in it, so probably not, like, bedtime story material, but, like, it's really, really good uh, for adults and... (laughs) and, And uh, there's so much rich symbolism in it, but there's one symbol that I really want to bring your attention to. So the Seventh Cavalry, this white supremacist group, um, their number one weapon is light. So uh, whenever the part of their brand is whenever someone comes up, they'll shine a super, super bright light on them. And so this is like a police officer who's like being blinded by this. And obviously that makes uh, folks very vulnerable because like, then the 7th Calvary can see them, but they can't see the 7th Calvary. And so the first move is always to shoot out the light that they use. And I think that this is a really poignant image because a lot of times the metaphor for prayer, we see this in the Gospel of John, is that God is the light. God lets you see new things. God illumines things. And God gets rid of the darkness. But in an age of so much noise and cacophony, in an age where you literally have a light-producing machine in your pocket all the time, in an age when there is so much, there's so much noise and so much stimulation and so much like overwhelming blindness of saturation of stimulation, maybe we need some darkness. Amen. Maybe we need to shoot out the lights and just let ourselves dwell back into the wisdom of night. We need to bring back the dark. We need to live into the night because there are certain things that you can see by starlight that you can't see by spotlight. And prayer is the act of living, creating that silent, open, reflective night feeling inside of you so that when the day comes with all of its blinding urgency and stimulation you can have the wisdom of the night to carry you through the wisdom of the darkness let's step into the night together my friends amen